a Rini Corer and Gedal Shesto Firkin Fulcher with Glare, Agasokoher and Law Tavoktak Shak, Smithic, Kalure Le Winter and Down, World AIDS Day. Ahasarum Hingwil Chivlenis, Ermahan Hinis, Erma, Son of Van Kela Sifin, Margot me Firkin Fulcher with Glare. Fulcher Oris and Uctron, as a Sintagon Ratek will meet a Kilura on a coitcha, it yak Uctron Neheren. Dear friends, it was the greatest pleasure that Sabina and I welcome you all here today to Oris and Uctron on such an important day, a day that affects all of humanity, World AIDS Day, to have the opportunity with you too of marking the 30th anniversary of HIV Ireland. And you'll excuse me if I mention as well the 30th anniversary of AIDS West, who are represented here. Uh, <laughs> about whose struggles I have an intimate knowledge from, uh, more later. It is a great honour for us to have the opportunity to recall those years of dedication, perseverance and hard work. As I've said, sometimes undertaken in very difficult and indeed, let me be clear, hostile circumstances, which began over 30 years ago. For it was indeed in difficult circumstances that the work of campaigners involved in what was now known, for example, and they are here so many, the Dublin AIDS Alliance began. And I say as well, uh, 30 years ago, uh, was when I saw reported in the paper uh, the fire at the Hirschfeld Centre. And I think it's very important that the work of that centre be remembered as we do our tasks of reflection. After all, in the years of its activity that time, uh, over uh, 200,000 uh, leaflets were distributed, distributing information when it wasn't available elsewhere. Uh, David Norris uh, was invited to be here this evening, but he's not free this evening, but I sent him my regards as well. Uh, I think I want to take the opportunity of recognising your work and welcoming HIV Ireland. So many of you are here, so you're also welcome. AIDS West Galway, as I have said, Evelyn is here, uh, and all our colleagues, well, please convey to them my regards. ACT UP Dublin. Asset Ireland, the All Ireland Network of People Living with HIV, uh, Positive Ireland, GOSHHH Limerick City, and the Sexual Health Centre in Cork City, and some others. Please excuse me, uh, I had finished the speech when I became, but you are all very, very welcome. Uh, may I say also, as matters unfolded, how very much I welcome the announcement. How welcome it is that announcement carried in, uh, in, in HIV Ireland's press release today that pre-exposure prophylaxis will be available in this country. Uh, 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 from Monday the 4th of December. I think the addition of another measure to prevent HIV is such an important step forward. And I very much also welcome uh, the plea that is in HIV Ireland's press release that it be made available to all who need it uh, without the barrier of cost. Or <laughs> yeah. I think that anniversaries like this are occasions not only to look forward, and we do look forward to when people will be able with confidence and security 
and in full freedom to be able uh, to look after their sexual health with responsibility with others. But also, I think, too, we might look for, we have to reflect uh, on the losses that were involved in those years that we recall 30 years, the loss of friends, of family members, of loved ones, of companions, and also, too, to be able to celebrate that so many have endured and to reflect critically and adequately on the struggles in which so many have participated. Let us be very clear, struggle, the struggle for recognition of rights long denied, the right to equality and the right to services, and the, the, and the struggle that had to be endured against discrimination and stigma. I think particularly, even as President of Ireland, when I have visited cities like London and elsewhere, and maybe some of the saddest people are people who are now elderly, living alone, and who were forced to leave their country because of the atmosphere that prevailed. And this is an incredible reminder to us uh, of how, how, how really uh, law is, can in fact actually release us, emancipate us, if it is properly used into rights, but it also can deprive us of rights, as it deprived all those people of rights who had to flee this country. I think it is instructive, if painful, now to recall the moral and ethical atmosphere of Irish society in the 1980s. I'm so pleased there are some politicians here, and you are so welcome. I remember the 1980s very well, as they would say if you asked about it, Leinster House, three elections in the one year. <laughs> uh, people such as the late Jimmy Kemi and myself have reason to remember the 1980s for the particular atmosphere of those campaigns, I can tell you. I think that those who suffered the most in the 1980s were those exposed not only to a prejudice born of ignorance and misunderstanding of HIV and AIDS. And I think, for example, of what happened in the hospitals of people, people who passed away but also to other forms of social oppression which were and are too often manifested in our society. A society operating that kind of closure on sensibility, on life and on rights is not a healthy society. At that time, contraceptives were only available through a medical prescription. As it was said at that time, we, we lived with what was des described at the time as an Irish solution to an Irish problem which actually was an insult to Irishness, quite frankly, in relation to the long history of Ireland. <laughs> Our laws prohibited same-sex same sexual relationships, and it's all over the, in the literature. I remember, how can one read? I remember reading the poet Richard Murphy's account of his experiences, not only in Ireland, but in London. My two predecessors in this office, Mary MacLeese and Mary Robinson, both played a significant role in that campaign, and I think but it was led with bravery, particularly by Senator David Norris, who sought to overturn this discriminatory legislation. And isn't it indicative of those years, years in which Irish society, how, how, how it yielded so slowly and painfully to change, such that the, as that the offending act was amended a full five years after the European Court of Human Rights had found that the legislation was in contravention of the European Convention on Human Rights. 
Our policies of the time were not just insufficient, they were simply wrong at a moment of crisis in Irish society, and thus the citizens, too many of our cities and towns, and particularly in parts of Dublin city, paid a terrible price in the 1980s. In those years, in terms of living up to its duties, to its citizens, our society and the state, and our state corralled by a version of society, was anything but adequate, and certainly it cannot be described as republican in any of the best sense of that term. I know that that time was a time before the development of antiretroviral treatment. It was a dark time, a time when so many loved ones were lost so suddenly, a time so often remembered with grief and hurt and anger. It is deeply affecting, to, for example, <coughs> to read... <coughs> excuse me to read the words of Tony Walsh, who has spoken of the hidden histories of how we lived, how we died, how some survived, yearned to be heard. Some of the most moving testaments of friendship, for example, that I have read in, 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 in both in prose and in memoir and in fiction were written in that period, written from both sides of the Atlantic, deeply moving, profoundly human. We as citizens of Ireland do then owe a duty to all those who lost their lives and a duty to remember, and in that remembering a duty to build a better future. I often quote the French philosopher Paul Ricoeur who said, to be forgotten is to die twice. Some during that time did act, and today is an occasion to recognise, if I have spoken about the sad side, but also to recognise, I do want to do that, to cut the courage, the energy, the activism and the bravery of those campaigners. Activism often conducted, as I have said, not just in the face of ignorance, but often sometimes open hostility. It is also an occasion to acknowledge the great strides that have been made, and those have been made thanks to the efforts of campaigners and of campaigning organisations like HIV Ireland, the work of health and social care professionals and volunteers, and how valuable it is now to see represented here the HSE and the interaction between, if you like, the, the street and the stage. It is also to, yes, it... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is also time to look forward to all that must, which must still be achieved in our own society. And I do say that, for example, say we're achieving same-sex marriage is just a punctuation point in the achievement of full equality, which will only be achieved when you have full social participation without restriction. And that is something where all the different campaigns no doubt will continue to achieve that. But in countries around the world, to realise the possibility of an AIDS-free generation is such a great aim, to ensure that those living with HIV may be able to live their lives without stigma, fear or discrimination. And it is sobering to recall that over 35 million people have died from AIDS-related illnesses since the beginning of the epidemic, and that over a million people died in, 19, in 2016. <coughs> At global level, there is so much which needs to be done and approached with urgency. I often think of people who are represented here uh, from the continent of Africa, uh, where 36% of the population of the world will live in 2050. And uh, no, 36% of all the young people under 21 years of age, 
23% of the total population of the world. And the challenge that is there, I'm so glad that people who are representing organisations and campaigners for that continent of the young, which it will be in 2050, are here this evening. I think the example, the plan of action that 193 countries have committed to for the achievements of the Sustainable Development Goals, which were agreed in New York in September 2015, and there is a commitment in those uh, Sustainable Development Goals to end the AIDS epidemic by the year 2030. Now, the goals may be ambitious, but they are realistic in their recognition, at least, of the scale of the response required to achieve them. Over 36.7 million people are living with HIV, and of that 36.7 million, only 53% have access to treatment. The goals recognise that nothing less than universal health coverage and access to quality health care, including universal access to sexual and reproductive health care services, are necessary if there is to be a possibility of meeting them. I have often in the past spoken, for example, about cultural rights and so on, but no invocation of culture in any part of the planet should stand between access to information as to prevention or to treatment, and that is, I think, an abuse of human rights rhetoric to suggest that you should have a cultural impact. If we are to achieve the goals that I have mentioned at home or abroad, it is not merely enough to make additional resources available. That is an obvious and necessary condition. But we're also required to create the consciousness, one of the reasons we are here this evening, to create the consciousness for a more inclusive and more just society. Globally, new HIV infections have fallen, fallen by 45% between 2000 and 2015. There are exceptions, of course, because the increase, in, for example, in Pakistan is simply astronomical when, I, when you look at the figures. But as we are all too well aware, it has continued to increase amongst some of the most vulnerable groups in our societies. And in some of the most vulnerable groups, in some of the places with the least capacity, only a response which eliminates inequalities based on gender, sexuality or race raises the dignity of all people and meets the demands of social justice. Only that will be truly capable of eliminating HIV-AIDS, ensuring that those who live with HIV can live lives free of stigma, prejudice and discrimination. I think that it is remarkable that the effectiveness of treatment has improved to such an extent that HIV may be suppressed, such that it is undetectable in a person's body, which means that the virus cannot be transmitted. This illustrates the continuing importance of HIV testing, as those who do not know their HIV status cannot access treatment and have the greatest risk of transmitting HIV. I so support the call for the provision of community testing by organisations such as HIV Ireland and the Health Service Executive. It is to be truly commended and should be supported. And I think it is very important as well that the atmosphere and context in which testing takes place be one from which there is no stigma attached. It is, in fact, just as an exercise of responsibility in relation to sexual health. There are 508 new HIV diagnoses notified and recorded by the Health Protection Surveillance Centre of the HSC who are represented here this evening. 
That's 508 new HIV diagnoses in 2016, which is an increase of more than a third, 35% on 2011 figures. And it has happened in two years, continu continuing. Obviously, this is concerning, and we must continue to implement some more support and promote as a society comprehensive prevention measures including the kind of adequate sexual health education and training which HIV Ireland have pioneered and continue to provide. I think that the findings of the National HIV Attitudes and Knowledge Survey and People Living with HIV Stigma Survey that was carried out in 2017 by HIV Ireland, it reveals that there is so much work to be done to improve information, knowledge about the transmission of HIV, and very particularly among our younger people. The survey also revealed that for the 4,000 people estimated to be living knowingly with HIV in our country today, there is still, they are experiencing stigma. Stigma arising, as I've said, from lack of knowledge, ignorance, prejudice, and sometimes we have to recognise from pre-existing unaddressed forms of prejudice based on a person's sexuality, nationality, ethnicity, class, or whether indeed they are unfortunately a drug user. This stigma takes a deep toll, whether experienced at the hands of friends, family, employers or strangers, and it takes a deep psychological toll on lives of people living with HIV. So, as we meet here in Oris and on World AIDS Day, may I thank you and commend the work of all those organisations gathered here today for raising awareness of HIV among the public, of offering support, of offering advocacy on their behalf to those living with HIV. May I thank to all of our health and social care professionals working in the health service executive and congratulate you yet again for the contact you are making with the campaigning organisations, with all those who are working in our hospitals and in the other bodies, for all of together your dedication and your hard work. And may I take the opportunity of saluting the bravery of all those individuals who have taken against a stand against discrimination. Our country has the best opportunity, its best image abroad. When we were in Australia and New Zealand recently, Sabine and I, sometimes people say, well, the, rep what is the reputation of the country. The reputation of country can be best enhanced by saying this is a country and the people, small in population, who have taken a stand against any form of discrimination and who were committed as a young country to come forward. May I say in conclusion that as a people we have the opportunity now to be more aware than ever in this decade of centenaries and critical remembering of the urgency to build by our thoughts and actions and deeds and our writings, our journalism, our indeed our scholarship, a republic of equal citizens. And this demands of us all a spirit of inclusion, of duty, and kindness, of compassion, and above all of solidarity and respect towards others, whether at home or abroad. And I do want to say that such an atmosphere that would have those values and characteristics would also be ones of joy 
to be ones of an aesthetic as well, of celebration and of life in its fullest and best and celebratory sense. So, through your work and your advocacy and your support services, all of your campaigning, you're all working to make this, as I have described it, this republic of equals that we seek. We are moving towards making it a reality. So, may I conclude by thanking you again and reiterating once, reiterating once again what an honour it is for us all on World AIDS Day that we are all able to join together here this evening. And I want to, to say thank Camilo Sullivan and Fergal Murray, who will be performing in just a moment, for providing our entertainment this evening. And what a pleasure it is to hear and see one of our greatest country, our country's greatest performing artists, and also through them to be able to say, on all these issues I have been mentioning, have artists not given a lead again and again and again? Yes. May I thank John Gold and Josephine McGlinchey over there from the the, the civil defence, but I don't think you need their assistance just yet, Annie. And may I thank May I August on May I thank all of my own staff here at Urus Nautron for facilitating this gathering. Thank you for coming. Thank you for all of your work. And may you abjure in your campaigns. So move further along the journey towards achieving a full and equal, inclusive society. Thank you.